Welcome to the Dividend Cafe, financial food for thought. Okay, happy Tuesday, everybody. My name is Dea Pernas from the Bonson Group's Investment Committee. I'm here joined by Robert, Robert Graham, Brian Seitel, and Julian Frazzo. Unfortunately, we are missing our chief investment officer, David Bonson, today. He will be missed. We're going to have to figure out how to get through this without him. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I have some pretty smart guys uh, around me here, so we should be okay. We're going to split up this podcast into two sections. The first one, it'll just be a general macro update. We're going to go through the Fed meeting tomorrow, the inversion, the 10-year, the oil spiking, energy stocks, how those have been catching a bid and what all that means to uh, to our portfolios. And in the second half, we're going to talk about our stock selection process, how we think about companies, how we define quality, a little bit of cash flow, price. Hopefully it doesn't get too technical, and you just get a general insight into our kind of thinking. But to, uh, but to kick it off, we'll start with the first half, and uh, we'll go into the Fed meeting. Uh, so Fed meeting tomorrow. Julian, what do you think? That's right. Uh, Fed meeting finally happening. Actually, the meeting over two days. So meeting today. But what we care about is the rate announcement and the press uh, conference that will be tomorrow. Uh, the market expectation have moved uh, dramatically, actually. Uh, so as of today, the implied probability of one cut is only 65%. Uh, and there's a 35% chance of zero cut. But I guess it's coming pretty late. And I would say that... Uh, I, th- I think it's pretty guaranteed that we get a cut tomorrow. And the reason is that um, the cost of disappointing the market would be too high. Mm-hmm. The Fed doesn't like to do that. So the market is implying one cut. So I think we get one cut. Mm-hmm. What's more um, interesting probably will be the language around you know further cuts. Will be whether it's a, a consensus decision or not. Remember the last... Uh, Meaning uh, there was some, uh, you know, there was 100% uh, consensus behind the the cut, uh, the decision to cut. So it will be interesting more to see what what they have to say at the conference uh, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the conference and and in the press release uh, rather than th- I think the cut is given. And those probabilities you said have moved. Yeah, is that primarily for, like what what has I, caused that? Uh, the, the move is really a reflection of you know the massive move in. Um, I guess risk assets. I mean, we were, we came from a period of like, uh, um, you know, love of uncertainty with uh, with people talking about recession, with the trade war, and you know, with the change of dynamic with uh, on the trade war. Uh, you've seen a massive change the last two weeks. Basically, um, the market are back to pretty much all time high. Volatility is back to fifteen uh, percent from like mid you know mid mid twenties. So yeah, there's been yeah. risk on, and because of that, you know, people are thinking, well, maybe we don't need a cut actually. Yeah, yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's interesting because, um, and David talks about this uh, in the Dividend Cafe, how it's mainly really perception that's driving most of this, even though there hasn't been really a stamped out trade deal or negotiation. It's been kind of just rhetoric. I mean, is that enough to prevent the Fed from, you know, uh, from easing too much? Well, I think that, um, you know, as the pendulum swings, it sort of goes one way and then the other. You know, I think it was a little a little overdone probably with 10-year yields in the 140 range. And within a week, just like Julian said, I mean, we've got risk back on. Stocks are up, Mm -hmm. you know, 4%. And yields have gone from 145 to what are they, you know, 182, something like that today in in a matter of of a week. And so markets have spoken, and they're they're moving in anticipation of, of some Fed easing and some okay economic data. And so I think you're right. I do think we get a 25 basis point cut, but I don't think it's necessarily 
needed per se from a fundamental perspective. I think it's almost more on a relative basis to the rest of the world. That's right. It's hard not to at this point. Yeah. The, inver- the yield curve is still inverted um, uh, as far as you know, difference of Fed funds to two year to ten year. I mean, twos and tens yeah. I think are slightly above pretty much inversion, equal. But yeah. yeah, how much yeah. can they fight it when uh, you know China is easing considerably the EU as well, right? So they only have limited options in terms of keeping rates where they are sometimes, yeah. right? That's yeah. right. Because the EU uh, last week actually with rates pretty much at zero, still managed to cut rates by ten bips, <laughs> right. which is kind <laughs> of you know points on the deposit <laughs> rate. Yeah, yeah. Sure. exactly. Yeah. So you have to look at you well, know. Twenty billion a month too. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. And so and the, as you said, the yield curve is still inverted. So, you yeah. know, I guess uh, one cut is uh, guaranteed. The question is, uh, do we get another one by the end of the year? I think the market is still imply, uh, implying uh, probability. You know, uh, high probability that we get two cuts. And I think that mm-hmm. it will all come down to inflation. Like like we've got the ability to kind of look at the data, or at least the Fed does at this point, and say things aren't so bad here. Rest of the world is easing. We're behind a little bit. Curve is inverted. Let's go ahead and cut as an insurance policy, that type of thing to try to keep pace. But they can kind of get away with doing that because there really isn't a whole lot of inflation. And I think if that paradigm starts to change, then they're they're in a tougher spot. You know, they're, they're not there now. And so that's why I think that you will get a cut tomorrow. And I think... Um, uh, right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. probably before the end of the year. And they're going to be looking at core inflation for the most part too, right? So these oil shocks aren't going to be as much of uh, of an impact on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's picked up a tad. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you guys saw that data. What? Uh, the core inflation. Uh, uh-huh. Core yeah. inflation when Q Q three numbers came out. I'm not sure if it's enough to uh, you know to to do exactly what you said. You know. So uh, so I'm not. Uh, so yeah. I don't see I don't see much inflation. But at the same time, I don't know how the Fed's going to uh, how the Fed's going to respond. Um, but like you said, I think there's a cut of 25 bips, maybe another cut, and I that's pretty much what we've been saying this whole time. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's any new information regarding the Fed or the Fed cuts that uh, listeners need to know? What do you guys think? Well, I think it's interesting on the probability on those futures, the on the odds. I mean, they were 99% for a 25 yeah. basis point cut. Now they're 60 something like that so markets are are speaking in that way um as far as a lot. Yeah. yeah i mean i i would i would say on top of this iranian and i know we'll talk about oil but yeah. um that probably gives maybe a slight you know tilt towards going ahead and, and erring on the side of cutting too to keep mm-hmm. pace with what markets are expecting and then also there's you know this this higher energy price what about what if, what about as far as inversion goes um does the fact that the, the the curve is still flat? I know it's not exactly inverted anymore, as far as the two to ten goes. How is that affecting conversations? That and I'm interested in Robert. What Robert and Brian have to say here, because they, you know, manage a lot of relationships. But is that causing if you know potentially you get a new client? And I'm I'm making this scenario up, so I'm stumbling a little bit here. But they have uh, they have a certain risk tolerance, and they may need you may need to. Uh, to kind of move them to the higher end of their risk tolerance in order that they may meet their goals. Uh, maybe they're may, maybe you're having to put a, put a little more risk on their portfolios. Like how, uh, are you having a stretch? And if so, what are those conversations like? You know, I don't think we would ever really stretch in regards to a client. I see a lot of the conversation coming inbound about that. You know, there's still a uh, a hunger for yield out there, but I think Mm -hmm. to some extent it could it could be dangerous to say, okay, you 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 know, you need X Y Z in the future. We're going to allocate you beyond what your risk profile would suggest. So I think there's a there's a fine line there. Now, there's a difference also when 
with that perhaps, and then talking to someone about having more equity exposure because on a on a risk reward basis, equities are probably still preferable to a lot of the more traditionally you know conservative asset classes down the road. So I think we had to be careful about that conversation in terms of we're not pushing people past what what risk they uh, you know they should be taking for the risk that they want necessarily, but we are making sure that they're taking the right risks in asset classes. Yeah, and I think you know at the end of the day, it's fundamentals and it's valuations um, mm-hmm. and it's client goals. It's those three things, and so we position portfolios around those things. Um, would someone ha- would we go negative or zero in a bond portfolio just because rates are low? Um, we'd probably underweight it, but as far as removing the asset class, I don't think that makes sense for mm-hmm. most investors, um, and it's not something that we would do. But we're cognizant of that, and you have to just kind of set and mute expectations a little bit. You know, returns in a bond portfolio are just not going to be what they have been so far in 2019. It's been a great year, but expect something lower, and we'll have high credit quality, we'll have low duration, and we'll take advantage of the situation. And you know, things will change and evolve over time in that market. Um, but yeah, right. yeah, the allocation is. Uh, massaged around, like we talked about last time, tactical, um, and, uh, you know, kind of a tactical overlay on what's going on in the world. But as far as a dramatic sort of all in, all out, really timing the market, I don't think that's really what we're about. Right. So more of a portfolio approach is needed. And it, you're, you're saying, to, just to summarize, that you're not exactly having to shift uh, on a broad uh, allocation, uh, you know, as a response to this current market environment, but it's really about setting the expectations around returns, mm-hmm. especially in the fixed income. But obviously, you wouldn't want to remove treasuries altogether because uh, there's still that uh, reverse, that correlation benefit. Sure. And it is a flight to safety asset class. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah I, I, I couldn't agree more. Portfolio approach that we are in the communications business and trying to communicate what we do to our clients is, uh, is just as important as knowing what to do. Uh, as far as uh, so, let's. What about oil? Moving on, oil spike. Oof. That that kind of uh, snapped uh, largest eight, eight days. supply disruption yeah. in, in history, maybe. Right? They're saying yeah. five point seven. I mean, that's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, beyond the sophistication of those attacks, I'm not an expert in that kind of thing. But they hit he, they hit the Saudis at exactly the right right places. It. it I mean, not giving any credit to them because that's horrible. It's a malevolent <laughs> act, I, of course. Right, but right. I mean, that's that's it's unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that in my lifetime. So it was just yeah. the right facility. They. The, it seems that yeah. way. I mean, I've been trying to dig into exactly what these are. They're refining facilities. Some of these things can take two years to get up and running again or, or to build from scratch. I mean, oh, wow. they're very yeah. complex types of facilities. It's removal of but, the sulfur and sulfur yeah, yeah, from yeah, oil. Yeah. Yeah. And the, reaction, the market reaction was pretty mild, though, if you look. I mean, the WTI is already back to 58 today. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you think about who is most impacted actually China. Oh yeah. Is yeah. Uh, you know is going to suffer from that much more than you know US or anyone else because 25% of their oil is coming from Iran. Um yeah. uh, so from uh, Saudi so um, I guess yeah. you know probably it's not too big of a concern here. Uh, I mean in some respect we're we're kind of winners from this thing. I mean we we can ramp up capacity pretty quickly over here we're right already and the largest yeah, producer that's right by three that's million right. a day i think we're 15 16 million barrels a day um so yeah. you know and uh, a, a terrible gross silver lining i guess with the higher prices is that when you produce a lot of the stuff that's selling at a higher price you know not necessarily a negative thing whereas to your point importing nations that's tough yeah it, it's a double whammy for china you're devaluing your currency mm-hmm. oil is priced in dollars so there's that and then also you got ex- you're importing a bunch of it, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of the double the double benefit. Remember, yeah, double remember what happened too recently when we saw some commodity prices in China escalate. We saw pork, soybeans, and what do they do after those things jumped? They made some concessions with the United States on those, right? So I mean, if they if they take the same approach with regards to uh, petroleum products, that could be another uh, victory for the United States. Natural yeah. gas exports is is one thing notable. 
I guess the question or the worry we should have is, is this just a step into, um, you know, escalation of, uh, you know, more I can tell you John Bolton's saying, I told you so, right? He left the left the White House, and then a day later, they're striking the oil facilities over there, right? So, you know, you kick out the hawk, and you get the uh, the wolves coming in. So. But what, wouldn't that help the trade talks as far as, uh, wouldn't that kind of well, that, put pressure on China to that would, make a deal? I think, well, I don't know if that's uh, in that, as a second derivative, but I guess probably the first thing people would be worried about is like, okay, you, is the U.S. going to war in, you know, in the Middle East again? And that would be pretty, that, that could be okay. pretty bad news for the yeah. for the markets, you know, yeah. thing, risk off again. This is not priced in a war, I guess, in the Middle East. I think we'd test lows on those yields again if that happened. Oh. I hope it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know all of the, there's not enough information to make it, to make a call there yet um, on, as far as an escalation in, with Iran. I think yeah. they're mm-hmm. still trying to prove uh, definitively if that's where they came from, but I think it looks like it did. Hmm. Um, so we'll have to yeah. see how that unfolds, and we'll be diligent in making sure we're we're yeah. keeping on top of that. So as far it, so maybe it's a temporary supply shock. Maybe it lasts a little longer. It looks like, uh, uh, when you say, how, how did oil respond today? Yeah, you, I mean, it spiked to like uh, low 60s, and then yeah, it's back yeah. down 5% back today. Down so, bit. I mean, I guess it looks like the market and can take it. Saying it may, or maybe it's temporary, uh, maybe yeah. you can take it. Or, yeah. So, yeah. unless, as long as you have more disruption and, and escalation, you know, and then, I mean, we're still in the talking about oil in yeah. the 60s, you know, we're very far from from a level where we should be really worried. Right. right. So, it's more, I think, the risk that we don't know what the Saudis and, and the U.S. are going to, you know, what the reply is going to be to that, the mm-hmm. answer to that. I mean, are you going to retaliate? Do you have to do something mm-hmm. or just, you right, know, right. business as usual? It's, yeah. it's not clear yet. Yeah, yeah, it's not clear how all the uh, market participants are going to react, all that interplay. And as far as uh, our energy stocks yesterday, they they caught a bit of a bid. Is, it, is this the catalyst that they needed? Or do you, well, well, I mean, uh, I, was ha- I was happy <laughs> to see I, that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's probably... I don't know if that changed too much, you know, in terms of the long-term outlook for these stocks. I mean, it's just like they're reacting in sympathy to the oil price moving up in the short term. But I guess it's more, it's been the last few weeks, it's really been more like about risk on. And, you know, uh, some of the more cyclical or or some of the sectors that have been underperforming lately have have, have done very well. Like, so financials and energy, so two of the sectors we really like have have outperformed. If you look at this month's... uh, you know the XLE index, which is the, the energy um, components of the S and P, is up eight percent. The the financials uh, are up five percent. So and, and and that's in the market that's up I think two two and a half percent. Yeah, and that's even before you know if you look at the index, like the energy index, that was even before this this. Yeah, exactly. It was already sort of on a relative basis moving higher, and I think. A lot of what we do and the stuff that we own, those, those positions in the portfolio, it's, again, comes down to valuations and fundamentals. And we like them because they're um, res- relative to other other sectors. They look cheap and they look uh, attractive. And that thesis has been playing out both with financials and energy. Yeah. 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 And they're defensive. I mean, it would be great for these stocks to have the all at $100 a barrel, but that would be really bad for a lot of sure. stocks, yeah. right? Sure. So I guess you want it in the, at the right level for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially um, well, I, you, you know, on CNBC they were talking about how airline stocks and any any, any kind of com- it's going to affect different sectors. Like if oil was yeah, at a hundred yeah, dollars yeah. a barrel, I mean, I'm sure different sectors would be uh, would be impacted differently. Yeah. So as far as the fundamentals really haven't changed, we still love the fundamentals. It's good that some of these uh, stocks are getting more attention, but uh, it's not something we care about too much. And. Uh, it's too short term. I think you know, okay. I mean, they'll, they'll rebuild, and and you know, um, aside from some other skirmish or some other escalation that you know it's hard to really predict. Um, yeah. Then I think that uh, it's kind of short term. I'm glad they got a pop this week, but like Julian said, they're already kind of moving back a yeah. little lower, and it'll all kind of 
settle out and what's what's uh you know what makes sense from a valuation standpoint yeah yeah absolutely well i think that about uh covers it anything anything else macro related uh that you think is i know obviously some of these topics we've uh we've talked about uh at some length and but uh, some of them are worth reiteration but anything anything uh, new or not really I, mean, I guess or, um, uh, i'm looking forward to uh, to the earning season that's mm-hmm. starting in october like around october 10th so we're just uh, like a few weeks away now and you know that will be interesting to talk about you know see how companies right. are doing how uh, you know earnings have, have developed over the last uh, third quarter and, and going into the, the last quarter of the year yeah, yeah that sounds good yeah i agree we'll get back to some good old-fashioned stock analysis and some fundamental research and yep get into it maybe next week or two speaking of stock analysis that is the second portion uh <laughs> portion of our talk so we just wanted to just discuss briefly about how we look at companies what we consider a quality company and maybe we can just go around here you know everybody's got qualities in the eye beholder it's like beauty how do you how do you look at a company like what do you what do you think is a great company? And then we can move on talking about price and how to marry that. So, you know, I like mature businesses, frankly. I like those that are generating stable cash flows. Um, maybe something I, I don't like, because in a lot of meetings, whether it's with, you know, corporate clients, whatnot, I get questions about random companies, not to name any stocks, but maybe to mention something I don't like. I, I don't like companies that have a, a very strong tie-in with, um, you know, a personality or a founder in place, because I think that can sometimes lead to a little bit of financial sleight of hand, right? So when you're and nothing against the great uh, you know founders of companies of the past and even the present day, but when I see a company that is uh, you know releasing reports or they have analysis and it's tied specifically to an individual or a couple founders, that's somewhat or actually significantly a detractor from what the company's actually doing in a lot of places. And you know thankfully none of our our holdings have that what I would call issue. But that's something that I think people should be wary of. Look at look at a stock or a company for what it is, not for who's necessarily running it as as a single entity or person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, and I, there's a few names that yes, we could name, yes. uh, but it, yeah, it's, uh, a lot of those CEOs get a lot of press, and some of it isn't great press. And uh, you know, is it is it, and you can think about it as the horse and the jockey analogy. That's right. That's right. I mean, if uh, if you could pick one, you would probably pick the horse. It's great. <laughs> if great, if the management and the company are are on par and both uh-huh. fantastic. But if the but if the management management or CEO specifically is getting too much press or has an overwhelming influence on the stock, either through ownership or other means that might be, you know, influencing things in a way that may not be in the shareholders' interests. That's something we would uh, we would very much view as a negative, and we've owned companies like that in the past. Uh, and again, I'm I, uh, reluctant to mention names, but um, but so so Brian, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I for for me and and I think for all of us, it comes down to to fundamentals. I mean, we're bottom up guys um, and gals, so we're looking at things um, on the income statement and the balance sheet. We're looking at companies um, in the financials first, um, and kind of going up from there. And, and things I like to look at are you know growing free cash flow over time. I like to look at the dividend rate and the payout uh, ratio that. Uh, is being covered. How much is you know money is coming in the in the front door to how much is actually being paid out to the dividends? Um, I like to look at the growth of that income over time, and I like to see a real commitment from management um, that that's sort of the bread and butter of that business to kind of grow for grow those cash flows back to, to clients. And then I like to look at valuations. Where is that company uh, relative to the sector, relative to market in general, relative to its historical? Um, multiple and see if it's expensive or cheap that way. And then on top of that, um, 
you know, we would look, do a sector overlay and some, you know, some other metrics too. But it, it comes from the bottom up. So we're talking about fundamentals, valuations primarily. Um, going Got it. There. Yeah, yeah, some timeless principles there. So you're looking at you looking at all those fundamentals, and how do you? Uh, and I, you know, I'm interested to hear what Julian's going to say in a second. But how do you marry that with price? Do you just look mm-hmm. at uh, some some PE ratios? Yeah, or, I mean, I there, mean, there's you, other there's other, but yeah. you know, I mean, you can look at just the the PE ratio and and kind of. Um, derive whether you think the price that it's currently trading at is expensive or not you can look at the you know the track record the history of, of where that where that stock is traded from a multiple perspective and, and a share price perspective and and make make your make your judgment there I mean there's yeah dozens and dozens of different ways to look at it but right, it all right. comes down to how much you know what what's the price and how you know how much is what's coming in as far as earnings yeah there's a lot of companies on our watch list that we love but fortunately mm-hmm. the price is a little high and uh, we have triggers set, but uh, but yeah, price where, for, where we have to trim, right? Where, where we, we or, have yeah, or the other way around. There, there was a recent uh, example I can yeah. think of this week. Yeah, where we love the company and it's performed everything that we ever thought it would, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's hard to do. It's it's reluctant to trim, but you, right. you know, valuations right. get to a point where it makes sense. Re- yeah, risk management dictates exactly that. So, Julian, I know you're itching, itching. Go, <laughs> go, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was gonna say, um, you know, I guess the ideal company is the one that uh, you, I guess you want to own and you feel good, you know, going to sleep. Uh, owning it that you're not going to have nightmare about you know something happening so you feel you know and and if when it goes against you when the stock price goes the wrong direction for some reason you're confident buying more because you're confident of the the quality of the asset and I guess my job you know here primary job is really to do this bottom-up analysis and and so I've done for I've done that for all the companies we own I also do it for some of the companies we'd love to own and there are some amazing companies that we love to own and do you just have to wait for the right uh, price, uh, the right entry point to to buy them? So that's you know, that's part of uh, part of it as well. There's a lot of nice companies out there that we don't own at the moment because mm-hmm. we have to wait for the opportunity to to buy to buy them. But I guess you know the the different steps or you know like um, uh, uh, metrics that uh, I would typically look at. I mean, I've just put them on the list, but uh, you know, every time I look at a company, I guess the first thing we look at is it a leader in its industry. So we want a company that's you know that has barrier to entry, that's a strong market share, that's in a dominant position. So that make it, makes it very hard for someone else to you know to come and disrupt the business and 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 hurt the business. So that's you know first thing. Then you know is it an industry that has tailwind or not? Like you know, good example is like tobacco industry. That's an industry that that's dying. Do you want to yes. be in that industry? Probably not, right? So and there's you know healthcare, uh, medtech. You know that's an industry that's growing. So it's probably a good industry to be in. Um, you know, that's, you know, very important, of course, the industry you're yeah. looking at. Um, and then, I guess, competitive advantage. Is it a company that, you know, that has a, an install base, scale of operation, that make it very hard to replicate for someone, again, to come and disrupt the the business? Then about, you know, I guess you mentioned management team. I guess management team and, and main shareholders, what you want to make sure is that your interest as a minority shareholder are aligned with the management and with, uh, you know, the if there's a majority shareholder. Mm-hmm. So like typically like companies that are owned by a government, you know, you have a lot of them in Europe, like, it's like mm-hmm. they have different agenda. They're not necessarily going to run them for profit for, for minority shareholders. So that's quite important as well to make sure you have the right alignment of interest. Um, and then I guess you go into the strategy, which is okay. Now you have a company that's doing well, but where are they going? Uh, what are they doing with the you know the cash that's generating? Is it you know are they reinvesting in the business to grow? Are they doing M and A? If they do M and A, you know they have to you have to think about 
they could use that cash buying back their own stock or reinvesting in the business. So if you do M&A and you take the risk of integrating a business, you want to make sure that it's worth the risk. So it needs to uh, bring you a, you know, a higher uh, uh, return on investment than you would do otherwise buying your stock or investing in your own business. I think it matters in how much they do too. Like there's an M&A component exactly. that's fine. If that's the sole, per- the sole way that they're growing, then it's not fine. Yeah. And I can think of some names that we've talked about quite a bit there, but M&A when it's strategic and it's creative makes sense. M&A when that's the only thing they've got to grow the business is, is probably not something we like. Yeah. yeah. Plus you have execution risk. So I guess something yeah. that's more yeah. like add-on M&As or I guess we, we would prefer or, you know, that you know, bank, uh, I guess, uh, you know, t- taking a huge gamble every two years by doubling the size of the business. Um, and, and then I guess, um, you know, we look at financials. So we go into ban- a balance sheet, which means, you know, how strong is the company? Is it going to survive uh, the next downturn? You know, is it as it goes, you know, strong, strong cash position, not too much leverage. And then into earnings, understanding earnings, you know, the gross, uh, the top line gross driver, earnings driver, and of course, going down from earnings to dividend and free cash flow, which is at the end of the day, what we care about is how much of these earnings we're going to see ourselves as um, equity holders. Yep. Yep. And and I guess when we get all that, finally we get a company that we like. Doesn't mean we can buy it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> then it's about waiting for the right point to entry point to buy it, I guess. Yes, yeah, very much so, very much so. That's a liberal. So that was a bit yeah. long, but I guess yes. just this is uh, this is really what all the steps we have to. Uh, no, there's a lot of things that have to come together uh, for us to pull the trigger on a, on, a, on a company. Like Julian said, the list is pretty long, and when we're looking for a company, it's very easy to say no. I mean, I, I, no. there's a company I can look at, or the balance sh- statement, or whatever the financials, the income statement. Uh, the negative free cash, or they're like you said, they're serial acquirers that have mm-hmm. no internal way of growing. They have to buy their way to growth. A company without staying power, and it's very quickly to say no. Quick to say no, excuse me. But saying yes takes a long process and takes a good amount of time to fully understand the company. And there's a lot of things that have to come together. And there's five of us to agree on it. <laughs> and there's five That's of us right. to so agree on that. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a bit. There's a bit of a yeah. There's a bit of a process. But uh, but I think I think well uh, I, well I'll go ahead and give my uh, my version of quality and I, I obviously there's a uh, there was a lot covered there so there's not a lot left out but I think uh, t- talking about you know Brian was talking about you know free cash flow growth making sure the margins are there making sure the shareholder alignment is there the company's got to have a competitive advantage like like Julian said it's got to have an economic moat uh, you know that's a very very uh, commonly used term. And an economic moat isn't something that is constant. It's always either shrinking or expanding. So you want to make sure that, that company, and let's say their moat is created from, I don't know, a number of things, brand equity. You want to make sure that they are making investments in that brand, increasing quality of whatever product they have, or is either through marketing or efficiency or whatever it may be. That's why the strategy of the management is so important, understanding the direction they're headed. Uh, so yeah, so I think un- really understanding the competitive uh, advantage, really understanding the industry structure. I mean, you can have a great company that uh, that has a, a great product that has a great moat, but the competition through easy capital capital or whatever it is is extremely fierce, and the <laughs> industry players are uh, dead set on uh, doing whatever is possible to increase market share. And maybe that's not an industry you want to be a part of when you know prices are going to zero or 
you know, for given the intensity of competition. So, so there's many things uh, that we look at, and at, at the at the end of the day, the price has to be right. So, there's a lot of companies that uh, we're waiting to buy, like we said, given the the price isn't yet there. So, we're looking, we're always looking for bargains, and uh, when we find them, it's a great thing, and we're very happy, and it's a company we're going to hold for a long time. Absolutely. So, uh, so I think that um, uh, is there anything? What do you What do you guys think? Anything you want to add as far as uh, how we what we look at, or as far as uh, company goes, or I think we can kind of keep going on and on i yeah. got the just julians um with it and don't get me wrong i'm all for doing that because i love to love this stuff yeah it could go but on this one they go on four hours yeah, yeah. needless to say there, there's a lot of metrics and a lot of things that we look at valuation is a big part of it bottom-up stock selection is where you know what, what we do we tend to be more of a value investor because of those things and and that would be kind of a general sum summary yeah. i guess you could say the the result of of all these analysis and we end up owning about 30 something stocks yeah. that you know <laughs> When the S&P is trading at 70 times P, we, because we have more defensive, more value uh, stocks, we have we are lower P. I think our P our portfolio P is around 13, 14 times P. We have a beta of 0.8, which is again lower than the market, and and the dividend yield that's uh, pretty much twice the dividend yield of the S&P, so generating about four percent yield, and that's a reflection of you know type of stocks we like to own while you sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is we don't own the index. <laughs> no, we don't own the index. We definitely own don't own the index. Very intentional, yeah. and uh, I think it comes out with all those numbers. Yeah. Sleep well at night. I like that. Stocks that we wouldn't mind holding through practically any environment. Thick, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thick and thin. Survivors. Survivors. Well, I, th- I think that about sums it up. Uh, hopefully, some listeners got something out of that. Uh, hopefully, it was insightful. Uh, David Bonson, if you're out there, we miss you. And, uh, you know, we will we will be doing this weekly, so looking forward to... Uh, our listeners tuning in next week. So thank you very much. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Dividend Cafe, financial food for thought. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance. This is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinion, news, research, analyses, prices, and other that information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower should not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.